Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Man, lunch, you got everybody stirred up. Y'all ready to get started? My name's Steve. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Steve. How are you guys doing? I'm from Memphis. I'll be your leader for this session. Uh, and this session, just so everybody's in the right place, because I had to ask when I came in, uh, is the positive effects of sobriety. Okay? Like in college. If you're in the wrong room, head out now. Um, in the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the message, this session will be recorded. The recorder will not be turned off during this session. If you do not wish to be recorded, you may participate by listening or attend another session. We ask that those who choose to share step up to the microphone so that those who listen to the recording can follow the discussion. Um, let's open the meeting with the serenity prayer. Prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, let's see, if, is anybody be willing to come up and read the essay purpose for us? I am Ben, I'm a recovering sexaholic. <coughs> the essay purpose. Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is the desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting for our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. Because our common welfare comes first, here are the guidelines for sharing during this meeting. We do not cross-talk, that is, we share with the group as a whole rather than addressing any individual member. We speak with the, in the I, not the we or the you. We leave our other identities at the door, including politics, religions, therapies, treatment centers, occupations, and other 12-step issues. We speak about and from the essay point of view. Our meeting's focus on the essay is on the essay approach to recovery. So whenever possible, we avoid the mention of titles and authors that are not essay-approved literature. We avoid profanity, sexual descriptions, and sexually abusive language. When sharing strays, we can remind each other of our commitment to these guidelines by quietly raising our hands. Um, positive effects of sobriety. I'm going to 
confess to you guys, I was asked to do this last night uh, at about 10 o'clock, 10.30. Um, and I, and I, I went home and I got up this morning and during my prayer meditation time I was praying about it and, and, um, and thinking about it and realizing that I, I'm, I'm at, I have 28 months and 6 days sobriety. Um, and the fellowship in SA in Memphis started about 26 months ago. I got sober in another fellowship, another S fellowship, and I've got a lot of gratitude for that fellowship, but I found my home in SA mainly because of the bottom lines and the definition of sobriety. Um, and, you know, just from a background standpoint, um, you know, my story I think sounds an awful lot like a lot of people's. Um, I'm really grateful that um, I didn't get quite as far down the road as a lot of folks did, but I went far enough down the road that I found myself in a place of really believing the only way out for me was to die. Um, this disease, it does kill people. There's been, um, I know at least one panel, I wasn't I wouldn't here for that meeting, but where it was talked about is this life or death. And for some folks, it may not seem like it is at this point. And um, I think my challenge on that would be um, maybe just hadn't done it long enough. Because uh, I haven't met too many folks that it doesn't end up at some point creating a real uh, painful place in their life. Um, for me, um, yeah, masturbation was, was something that I just always did. And I didn't think it was something I'd ever stop doing. Um, to stand up here today and say that, you know, 28 months, it's been 28 months since I've had sex with self in any form, uh, is a really powerful thing for me. Uh, I can remember when a couple of days seemed like a crazy amount of time. Um, pornography was always there, but it certainly was not my drug of choice. Um, chat rooms, um, phone, uh, any way that I could connect in a, in, a, um, fan, in a fantastical way with someone other than the person I was with. Um, I've never had a monogamous relationship in my life. Um, from the time that I was in the, I, was, <laughs> I share this at meetings, there were two girls in the third grade. <laughs> um, Diana and Heather, how outside of that, all right? I'm a real sex addict, all right? I remember their names. And they used to chase me on the playground, and they would catch me, and that was always the best and the worst, because they wouldn't catch me and kiss me, they'd catch me and beat me, and then we'd start all over again. Um, and, that, and it just continued from there. I always had a couple of people in my life that I had relationships with. I had the girl that I could take home and meet my mother. I had the, the girl at school that nobody else knew about, and I, had the, and I always had a third out there floating somewhere, usually at least three. And... None of them ever thought they were the only one. I was always really honest. They always knew what was going on. I don't understand that. I heard a commercial on the radio yesterday, this guy sending flowers out to his three girlfriends. And he was putting on the, on the radio spot, it said, uh, each card said, um, dear, whatever, all my love. And then he does the second one, and he says, all my love. And the girl taking his order says, well, you got, you can't, it can't be all your love to both of them. He says, I got a lot of love. <laughs> Um, got married, figured that would fix me. I don't, nobody else ever had that thought, right? Uh, and it did for about two years. And then um, when we had a, our first child, uh, I realized I was no longer the center of my wife's universe, which I don't know that I ever was, but I at least could make believe that I was. Um, and and, and the, the, the really, I think the scary part for me, and I was talking to a guy in a session this morning after the meeting, and he told me about, he got sober for a while, and then when he went back out, he went back into a place that was so far beyond what he had been doing before he first got in. 
That's what's scary for me about relapse, is I know that if I'm going to relapse, it's over. Marriage is over. Life is over. Kids are over. Job's over. I might as well do all the stuff that I ever thought about wanting to do, and then I'll just end it. I've had that thought. That's the thought that I had when I first got into recovery. Um, I'm going to blow it out. And so it's a scary place for me to think about um, about where I was at that point because when I quit with the Internet and with the pornography and with the other women for those couple of years, when I got back into it after my daughter was born, I didn't start back again. Like I didn't ease into it. I, I, it's like I never left it. I just picked it right back up. And then it progressed because I, I wasn't meeting people in person before I got married. And all of a sudden I felt like I had to meet somebody in person. I had to be part of their life. Um, it's a frightening place to be. And that went on for about 10 years. Um, I was a deacon in my church. I was a youth group leader. I was a Sunday school teacher. Um, I, everybody thought I had it all together. Uh, I taught Christian financial classes. So I, one thing I know for sure, and, and I have no, I mean, I'm, I'm still actively involved in a church. One thing I know for sure is that, that church is also not going to solve my problem. I can fake it there. It's almost like it's encouraged in the churches I've been involved in. I can fake it. And I can wear this. I had a buddy of mine at church one day say, it's like when we walk in the front door, there's this big saran wrap dispenser. (laughs) And we walk through it and we just get covered. And that's the way it worked for me. Um, And so I faked everybody out. And then I got caught. And, um, you know, I I would love to be. Is there anybody in here that came in because the pain was so great personally that you walked into these rooms? So I think that's great. That did not happen for me. And I wish I could say that. Like, it would feel so much better for me from a character standpoint to be able to stand up here and say, I was so personally disturbed that I knew I needed to get help. I I got busted. My wife found the name of my 18 18 month uh, affair partner found her email address under my wife's name in my phone. Is that, is that some smart thinking or what? And said, so why is this set up this way? And so, of course, at that point I was busted, so I just lied like crazy. I lied and lied and lied and didn't get into recovery and didn't want help and decided I could fix it myself again. And that lasted about six weeks. We went to see this, um, this therapist, and he said, um, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to read this book, and he gave us the name of the book. It's not approved. If anybody is interested about it, you can ask me. And he said, I want you to read this book, and then I want you to spend, I want you to schedule three times a week, two-hour sessions, so six hours a week, for her to ask you, talking to me, for my wife to ask me anything she wanted to about my acting out behaviors. And I sat there, and he said that, and I was like, okay, yeah, we can do that. And I thought, okay, that's going to be tough, but I I can do that. I can lie. She'll get tired of this. We've been through this before. We've been through this before. She'll get tired of it. And she didn't. And it went on for six weeks. And one Friday night, she decided we needed to have this session right before I was going to a movie with her dad and my brother-in-law. And I just broke. And I mean, I couldn't, I really couldn't take it anymore. I was like, you know what, this is just going to have to be over. I'm so tired of this. I was getting caught, and I was, 
you, know, you can't you can't keep it. Even my addict. I mean, I'm I'm a bright guy, right? I'm not stupid, but my addict is not bright enough to keep up with every lie that it can fabricate. And what eventually happened is I slipped and told her something that she hadn't heard, and she kept digging and kept digging. And three days later, this is and you know I don't know how many of you guys have been through a disclosure weekend like that, but a disclosure time. <laughs> This isn't like, you know, a regular day, you know, you spend a couple hours talking and then you go get some dinner and you go to bed and you get good rest and you get up and do it again. 72 hours later, on about two hours of sleep, I'm sitting on my kitchen floor and confessed to her that I told this other woman that I loved her. Which, by the way, is another lie of the addiction. And at that point, I saw, there's a, I saw my wife snap. She disconnected from reality. And uh, I knew that I'd killed her at that point, that if, if I didn't get out of her life, she was going to get out of her life. I knew it right then. You could see it. She was no longer there. And so I decided that, I started thinking, and I was like, you know, I've got... I got a million and a half or so in life insurance, and um, and my kids would be they'd be better off without this lying dad and going through all this pain. And my wife would definitely be better off. She would be free, right, in my religion, to go remarry at that point. And uh, so I decided what I was going to do. And luckily, I, I mentioned it, and um, we got help. And and I found these rooms. So I think what we're supposed to talk about now is how is life different today from what it was for me 28 months ago. Um, and since we're talking about sobriety, I, I'd like to, if you guys are willing to do it, you don't have to, but by, by show of hands, how many folks have we got in here with, um, with less than a year's sobriety? What, man, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for being here. How many have we got here with, let's say, a year to five years? Man, look around, guys. For those of you that are new, that's awesome. About five to ten. Excellent. More than ten. Man, that is awesome. I was, I was talking at lunch with a guy that I got into recovery with. Um, we started. I think it was the same weekend. He's sitting in here. He's not listening to me. Is that right? Was it the same weekend? Did we share the same disclosure weekend? Um, and we, we hit the same, I think he, my second meeting was his second meeting, but it wasn't the same second meeting. And um, We both got it from day one. I, I've not had a relapse. That's something else I want to tell you guys. Anybody that's in here that's new, if you're, if you're new and haven't had a relapse, relapse is not a requirement in this disease. <laughs> Contrary to what you may have heard in meetings or anywhere else, you do not have to relapse in this disease. Sobriety is something that can start from the first day. Um, and I can, I can tell you at some point about why, why I think it worked for me, but we were talking about it at lunch, and what we decided is there's no way to know. I've seen guys walk into the door of meetings in the two and a half years that I've been involved in Memphis, and they were, and they were guys that were so crazy that I was convinced I would never see them again. And they never acted out again. And they kept coming back. And they work the steps, and they're sponsoring people now. I've seen guys come into the meeting that looked like they had it so together, and they were working so hard that I figured there was no way they could possibly relapse. And they've not been able to get sober. 
I don't understand the miracle of sobriety. But I do know that more often than not, the guys that work the program of recovery are the guys that end up getting sober and staying sober. And the program of recovery, unfortunately, is not a, it's not a country club. It's not going to meetings and hanging out. It's part of it, but it's the steps. It's working the steps and being honest. Uh, I want to share a reading with you, and maybe this will kick off some of the discussion. I don't want to take the whole time. Um, I'm actually going to share two readings because there's, there's two pieces of sobriety that, that I kind of base my program around. One is the physical sobriety. All right. Um, what's the, in, in our definition of sobriety, right? And they shared this last night. Somebody read it from a, a book last night. Our definition of sobriety, um, no sex with self. Um, and for me, and I'm just going to share this, I have, I have certain behaviors that I consider to be sex with self beyond just masturbation. All right. Um, I, I, I don't use Facebook. I don't go to chat rooms. I don't use the phone for sex. Um, I don't, there's, there's several other things that I, that I don't do. I don't look at pornography. Um, because I know from my experience there is no way possible I can do that successfully. My disease is progressive and destructive. And if I start treading down that path and walking that wire, um, I, there's no, I can't stop. Lust is my problem. Uh, and I have tried those other things. And I get... There's just far too much energy for me around it for me to be able to stay sober. Um, no sex outside of my marriage uh, between a man and a woman. And progressive victory over lust, which I still am not sure I completely understand, but I'm trying to work it out with my sponsor. From page 77 in the, uh, in the white book, everything begins with sobriety. Without sobriety, there is no program of recovery. But without reversing the deadly traits that underlie our addiction, there is no positive and lasting sobriety. To recover from a life based on wrong attitudes, self-obsession, separation, false connections, blindness, and spiritual death requires a program of action that includes a fundamental change in attitude, character change, union, the true connection, self-awareness, and spiritual life. Working the principles of the steps as a new way of living has made this happen for us. And then from... Um, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I've got to find it. And this is from um, uh, A Vision for You. You are going to meet these new friends in your own community. Near you, alcoholics are dying helplessly like people in a sinking ship. If you live in a large place, there are hundreds. High and low, rich and poor, these are future fellows of Alcoholics Anonymous. Among them, you will make lifelong friends. You will be bound to them with new and wonderful ties, for you will escape disaster together, and you will commence shoulder to shoulder your common journey. Then you will know what it means to give of yourself, that others may survive and rediscover life. You will learn the full meaning of love thy neighbor as thyself. It may seem incredible that these men are to become happy, respected, and useful once more. How can they rise out of such misery, bad repute, and hopelessness? The practical answer is that since these things have happened among us, you guys listen to this, since these things have, have happened among us, they can happen with you. Should you wish them above all else and be willing to make use of our experience, we are sure they will come. The age of miracles 
is still with us. Our own recovery proves that. That's some powerful stuff. And that's what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about the the true effects of sobriety. And not just being sober from our acting out behaviors. Um, Bill W. wrote an article on, on emotional sobriety that he called the next frontier. And this was 40 years ago, right before he died. And, and for me, the, the true effect of sobriety is that today, my life has changed. The purpose of my life has changed. The pursuits of my life have changed. If you'd have asked me two years ago if I'd have been able to stand in front of, group, in front of a group of people here and share what I just shared about myself without shame, without fear, experiencing the spiritual connection that I just felt while I was reading this, that you guys witnessed. That's what my, my sponsor tells me. That's God talking to me. I've got I to gotta let it come. I've got I to gotta feel it. Because that's God telling me that he loves me. I never would have believed you. If you'd have told me that two years ago when I started going to SA meetings with me and two other guys in Memphis, that um, at a birthday meeting in December, or I guess it was Thanksgiving in November, we would have 30 guys sitting in that room to celebrate a one-year anniversary with somebody. Then in December we had two guys fighting for the opportunity to share because they were both celebrating birthdays. Then in January, we're going to have three. And then it continues. That we're actually able to have birthday meetings in Memphis. I never would have believed it. We're running out of medallions. And not the white ones. (laughs) I've got sponsees that are sponsoring It's an amazing experience to see others recover. And like Bill W. says, it's not one that I want you to miss. I've got people that I can call when I'm in trouble. I've got people I can call when I'm not in trouble. It's kind of an amazing thing. My family, I only can call them when I'm in trouble. They, they, they know if I call them just to chat, something, something ain't right. But I've got people I can call and just talk. Things are going well in my life. Things are going bad in my life. I have true friendships, people that know Everything there is to know about me. And here's the shocker. They love me anyway. I've got a sponsor that when I don't talk to him for a couple of weeks and I call him up, he says, I was thinking about you. I've missed you. I've got people that when I call them and tell them some other crazy mistake I've made, that they're going to tell me they love me before they hang up the phone. Have you got, how many of you guys have the experience of men telling you that they love you? It still makes me amazingly uncomfortable. <laughs> but in a good way. In a good way. And to reciprocate and to be able to tell somebody genuinely that you love them. Now, I still struggle. I think the biggest struggle I've got right now, and this is, this is really leading with my weakness, the biggest struggle I have right now is, is caring enough about the guys in my meeting, to, um, to stick with them. Um, it is really hard for me to be in relationships with people. And, and that's part of the reason I think that it's, it's interesting that I got tapped to do this today. Um, I, I really have worked hard to get to a place where if somebody, if I don't talk to somebody for a while, that it, that it matters. 
Does that make sense, what I'm saying? That it's not that I don't care about them, it's just I don't really think about it when they're not present in my life. Uh, if somebody acts out and leaves the fellowship, it's a whole lot easier for me from a defense standpoint just to forget they ever were there. It's a really difficult thing for me to go back through an old phone list. How many of you guys have had that experience? It's hard. But it's getting better. And I'm finding that the more that I invest in people, the more I give, the more I really do get back. So I think what I'd like to open the floor up for now, we've got 30 minutes or so, and I don't know what comes after. We can take as long as we want, I guess, um, until they turn the CD off. Uh, what I'd like to open the floor up now is for anybody who'd like to come forward and share, um, what have been the positive effects of your sobriety? Um, and I'm going to ask for something, at least initially, um, and it's not because I don't think that, that, that people with short-term sobriety don't have anything to add. It's that I, I think it would do a whole lot of good, at least for me it did when I was early in sobriety, to hear the promises in somebody's words that is experiencing the promises. And so um, for folks that have, that have got, um, you know, some short-term sobriety, if you really feel led to share and God's putting it on your heart to share, come up here and share. I'm not putting any rules on this. But I'd love to hear from some of the guys that have got, I'll start at two just because that's where I'm at, um, two, three, five, ten, twenty years of sobriety. How is your life different? What are the positive effects in your life of work in a program of recovery? Relationships restored? Um, Friendships found, opportunities in your life that God's given you. Uh, and let's just take, take, a few, take a few minutes to reflect on how good life is right now. Mike's open. Hi, I'm Tanya. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. I've been sober since July 3rd, 2006, and for that I am never sufficiently grateful. Um, I want to start by reading something um, that we read a couple weeks ago in a meeting that talks about the uh, problems of negative sobriety. I'm going to start with that and go to positive. It's somebody commenting on his initial sobriety, and he writes, I was not cheating on my wife. I was not having sex with myself. I was not looking at pictures or going to those places. Not, not, not. For months and months, I was not, until one day, not was not enough, and I went back out there. Um, I've been in program for seven and a half years, so that tells you that for the first four years, I was something of a chronic relapser. And during those four years, I focused on the negative. Oh, I can't have sex. I can't have a relationship until I'm a year sober. Of course, I tried doing that anyway and lost my sobriety, which tells you why you should wait a year. And, uh, you know, it was all about, well, I lost my kids. They live with their dad and stepmom and, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And, you know, it didn't work. Um, so I started really seriously working the program, which include uh, giving up the right to have a relationship, the surrender I've talked about at other meetings. And um, one of the things I like about the sobriety definition is when it talks about single people, it says freedom from sex of any kind. It's not put in the negative. It's a positive I am free from having to deal with the crud that comes from lustful sex. And uh, that's probably the number one thing, is I am free from that. 
Um, my kids still live with their dad and stepmom, but I probably see them about as much as uh, they do. We only live about four miles apart, and I have a wonderful relationship with my kids. Um, they, my son in particular, he's 16, and he's dating, and he tells me things, and he asks me questions about dating that I can't imagine most 16-year-old sons would ask their mothers. But he trusts me, and he trusts me that I won't go tell anybody, and he trusts me that um, that I won't judge him, that I won't say, oh, I can't believe you did that, not that he's done anything that bad, but, you know, that I'll be honest with him, but I won't condemn him for anything he's done. And um, I couldn't do that if I didn't have this program and didn't have the kind of not just sobriety but recovery that I have. Um, I also have a great relationship with my daughter. Now, sometimes she's 14 in eighth grade, and I think eighth grade girls are snotty little brats. But, but she's better than most snotty little brats. But she'll get better when she's in ninth grade. But she talks to me a lot, too, and tells me things. And, um, you know, I did, she would never tell her dad. And I just go, okay, and then what did you do? And I also appreciate that she has boundaries. When she was in seventh grade, she was dating an eighth grade boy if you can call it dating. And uh, the hallways were separate. So seventh graders were in one hallway and sixth graders were in a hallway and eighth graders were in a hallway. Well, he kept coming over to um, the seventh grade hallway to see her. Well, she didn't like that. So she broke up with him. She has boundaries. I don't know if she would have learned boundaries if I didn't have recovery. She's not going to go out and get pregnant in high school. Well, I could be wrong, but... uh, But, uh, you know, she's not going to get suckered into something she doesn't want to do the way I did because she's got boundaries and she's got self-esteem. And um, I can't totally take the credit for it. Um, She's had a lot of good influences in her life, but I know I couldn't have given her the good influence to set boundaries and have positive self-esteem if I didn't have sobriety and recovery. Um, I have friends in program that um, I wouldn't have had um, otherwise. I have friends that are my friends, not my then-husband's friends or anything like that. Um, the last thing I'll share is um, I'm taking Spanish right now, and I have a friend in program who a few years ago married a Colombian woman and uh, converted to Catholicism and started going to Spanish Mass. Well, he invited me to Spanish Mass so I could kind of practice my Spanish, so I met him at the church, and he introduced me to his wife, and we talked, and you know, the three of us talked, and then we sat down, and I sat next to the guy and everything, and followed as well as I could. Well, that night at the meeting, he came up to me and said, I've got something to tell you. My wife tends to be very jealous of other women, and she wasn't at all jealous of you. And that is recovery. Thanks. Anybody have a copy of the Promises or the Big Book? Oh, well, all right. I mean, a, a Big Book, so I can look at them while I'm talking because I'll go off topic if I don't have them to look at. No, no, the Big Book. Big Book. A A A A Big Book, page 83. Thank you. <clears throat> really, I I tend to I tend to wander if I don't focus. Um, we will regret the past. Um, I've been in 23 years. I still have, I'm Catherine from Atlanta. Um, I still have not surrendered all my lust. Um, 
I don't I don't have the freedom that would come with that. Um, I had a, a message from my higher power earlier today. Um, <clears throat> I'm a Christian agnostic, and uh, <laughs> I got that from John Bradshaw. Um, I realize what I've been doing, I've been using joy, Christian concept of joy, to cover my lust. And uh, happiness is the result of outward circumstances. Joy is something that comes from within, from God or your higher power. And I was using inside of me what I thought was joy, but it was really lust. Um, I couldn't I couldn't stop flirting and I kept justifying it. It's my charm, it's my personality, it's it's who I am. Um but I could see that my life was still unmanageable. Um and it's gonna it's gonna be really hard because um I'm an actress and I'm 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 resisting the temptation to do something that would be too flamboyant. Um <laughs> But I mean, I'm just so used to expressing what I call joy, and I realize I need to give it up because it's lust. Um, and as far as what it said, let me see the program. Um, something that happened. Where's Where's the description? Of this one. I think this guy looks like Elvis. Me? I know, I know you're you're a Memphis relative of Elvis. I am. My mom uh, double dated with Elvis. Really? Back in the day, her and her cousin. Oh. My mom didn't date Elvis. Her cousin dated. Oh. oh. <laughs> well, he he dated he dated lots of girls. Um, <laughs> how the actions how the actions of love improve our relationship. God, it sounds like a bullet. Um. I ran into somebody at this convention. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, <clears throat> somebody that I had been misleading. Uh, I was flirting. And um, I justified it because I saw a very firm boundary between us. Um, a business relationship over, over which neither one of us would... Uh, step, break the line. Um, but I needed to flirt, and, and I realized that over time I was um, being too, um, I don't know what word to use, sexual, not sexual like I was wearing tight clothes or flaunting my body, but um, wanting to be attractive, wanting to lust and be lusted after. Um, and I realize I'm speaking for him, but at, at one point I got the impression that um, he might be willing to take me up on what it looked like, what it looked like I was offering, and I wasn't. And uh, I had to break it off, and and I was heartbroken because I think he's a very nice person, and uh, we have another fellowship in common, and our business relationship had had been very pleasant. Um, and I have agonized so much on, on what I wanted to say to this person, and he's here. And uh, I was able to say something, and 
I think it has has at least you know built say that much of a bridge coming back. Um, but again, I haven't I haven't totally totally given it up. I'm a an acting in person, a, a sexual anorexic. So when I came in, into this program, a lot of a lot of my lust hadn't been acted out. It had just been in my mind. It, I mean, I was totally out of control in my mind. Um, so I think that's one reason I didn't have to give it up the way people did who came in barely alive or almost dead. Um, <clears throat> and uh, since I'm an agnostic now, I... I think it would be kind of foolish to say I hate God, <laughs> but I mean I, I resent the fact that I'm I'm still struggling after all these years, and and I find excuses. For, I think I have to tell somebody why I'm not married. I don't want them to think I'm gay, um, but it's because I'm afraid. Um, I still don't have good boundaries, and until I have good boundaries. Um, I can't have a mature relationship. I want to. I want to be uh, taken care of, and no healthy person that I would want <laughs> would uh, want to take care of me. So um, I, I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to hear about this, the actions of love, and I, I didn't realize it conflicted with the women's meeting. I had intended to go to the women's meeting and didn't realize they were at the same time, but. Um, I'm glad I came. Thanks. Thank you. Very quickly, uh, hi, my name's Barry. I'm a recovering sexaholic. I'll give you a, a sobriety date here in just a minute, but it's important that you understand that it's, I can't tell you enough about being at these meetings. Uh, I was found out by my son, who's my business partner, on July the 2nd of 2002, and that was the day after my 35th anniversary. And we had uh, what you would call uh, the perfect marriage up until that time, but I led a totally secret life for about 45 years. Uh, the only year that I was perfectly sober with my marriage was the first year we were married, and I was in pilot training, and I was so busy trying to get through pilot training, I didn't have time to act out. And uh, huge ego, flew high-performance jets, uh, was a flying squadron commander, retired, went into private business, had a, a nice degree of success, and I got caught and everything came out in the open. And for the next five years, I was sober. Uh, in February of 04, let's make that 06, February of 06, uh, my wife and I were in the back of a limousine traveling to a hotel, and my uh, minister called and said, we want you to tell your story at church. Yeah. 
Yeah. So uh, about three weeks later, I stood before about a thousand people and told my story. Perfectly sober. Coming to meetings. And the ego got to me. And in 07, I broke sobriety. Five years. So I quit going to meetings. And in March of this year, my wife and I were in a, uh, we were on a religious education tour of Israel. And I was so attacked one evening, I went into a full-blown relapse. And so my sobriety date is the 2nd of April of 09. And I just want to share with you that since that date, I'm back in these rooms. And don't leave them. Thank you. I'm a sexaholic. My problem is John. Uh, and um, I, 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 my sobriety date is uh, July 10, 1994. And um, the, the, um, what's the, what's the name of the topic again? The effects of sobriety. What? The effects of sobriety. Yeah, the effects of sobriety for me have been um, that um, I'm, I'm celibate. I'm not married. I have no desire to be married. And uh, but, uh, however, if if you know if something were to come along, you know that was God's will and blah blah blah, you know, then I might consider it. But but it's not. It, I have absolutely no. Um, uh, I, I'm completely content with being celibate and sober. Completely content with it. And when the first lust thought comes into my head, you know, when I see a billboard and I'm driving along or something, I have to turn off the radio and start praying because it's what's in my head that's killing me. It's not the outward acts. It's what's in my head that's killing me. So I have to surrender that first lust thought in order to maintain my uh, freedom from lust and my sexual sobriety also because if I allow the, the lust to start germinating, it's not going to be long before I'm acting out again. Thank you for letting me share. My name is Al. I'm a recovering sexaholic. I've got about uh, two and a half years of sobriety uh, in these rooms, and uh, it's not but by the grace of God that that that's happened. Married uh, over 30 years, uh, self-will run riot. That would probably uh, just describe my actions uh, before being married, after I got married, until uh, it came to a, uh, you know, I, I, it wasn't that uh, I didn't come in dragged dragged in or anything like that, but uh, that last affair that I had, uh, it was a, it was a, it was a wreck, and uh, something had to be done, and. Uh, I'm, I'm very grateful that I, that I found these rooms. Uh, the effects of, of sobriety, uh, of recovery, 
it's a whole different way of life for me. Uh, you know, we, we, we talked at lunch. You know, one of the things about me is I guess, you know, we read about uh, in the big book, uh, we agnostics. Well, for me, you know, I didn't have a religion as, as I was growing up, so I didn't have that fight, uh, that battle within myself, I guess, when we came into the rooms, with the exception that, you know, I wasn't too sure about the God person, but there were, I could remember that there were times when things that happened in my life that uh, I would say, uh, well, God was looking out for me when I didn't wreck that car, or God was looking out for me when I didn't get caught that time. Uh, of course, he wasn't looking out for me when the times I did get caught. But, uh, or, you know, it just, but it was a, a momentary, and, you know, there wasn't anything else that went to it. But now I can actually say that I've come to uh, find a God of my understanding, and uh, the belief that I can be forgiven for what I did, and uh, I can forgive myself. Uh, in my marriage, uh, man, I, one of the greatest effects of recovery in, in this thing has been it, it, it's a whole new life. Uh, you know, my wife, uh, we see each other in different eyes. We, we, we see each other differently uh, inside each other. I've got a whole different family now. Uh, I've got the family that uh, is in these rooms uh, back in Memphis. It's, uh, you know, it is strange to hear a guy tell you that you love him, but you know what? It's just as strange sometimes to tell a guy you love him, and just uh, it's 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 just a whole different thing. Uh, and man, I love it. It's uh, <laughs> the welling up of uh, of love. Sometimes uh, is unbelievable. Uh, you know, it, when you sit and you talk with somebody, and you can you can you can tell the honesty, and that's something that uh, for so long, 54 years old. Uh, for 52 years, there was so much self-deception in my life. Uh, you know, I didn't know who I was or what I was. And uh, it's come to a point now where uh, I can acknowledge that and I can feel comfortable, especially inside these rooms and sharing that with people and uh, not feel I'm being judged. So uh, for those of you who have just a little bit of time in the program, uh, man, I just want to tell you there is hope. And for those who have been around uh, a while, I want to thank you for what you've uh, shown me because uh, it's that's something that uh, it's just something I keep coming back for. Thank you. Hi, my name is Jim, sex addict, sexaholic. Uh, uh, sobriety date is 03, though I started in this program or actually another program, almost over 20 years ago. I've had many, many relapses. Uh, I wish I could say my chart was like this. It was not. Um, and I want to, but I do want to focus on the positive effects of sobriety in my life. Um, we will not, in the ninth set of promises, it says, we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity. We all know these words. Uh, no matter uh, no matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. Um, the, one of the most positive effects of sobriety for me in this program and other fellowships that I am part of is that I uh, no longer or less so focus on me. And I am here. Uh, God's will for me is to help others. Uh, and through helping others, uh, I help myself. Um, 
this, uh, I've been married for uh, close to 20 years, um, and uh, it was my wife who actually got me into this program uh, by saying I had a problem. Uh, and I have worked the program in very imperfectly over my over my entire life, uh, but I uh, have won, I believe, progressive victory over over lust little by little. Um, for me, one of the the, the positive effects of sobriety is uh, the metaphor of a box that was used early during the during our our, our lunch uh, meeting. Um, I, through sobriety, the walls of that box have have opened for me. This room, uh, I, I, uh, this, these uh, uh, ballrooms, uh, this huge room divides up into these little rooms, but these things are called air walls over here. Uh, I, I do work in these kind of environments sometimes. And what those panels are actually uh, fake walls. And if you notice, they can open them up. And for me, sobriety in some ways is like those, those separations slowly opening up and seeing further and further and further away from myself. Uh, and suddenly the view goes from something very narrow, me focused on me and my problems, to focusing on a greater, a, a greater view, uh, a, a deeper, uh, longer vista. Um, Recently, about three years ago, uh, as I was growing in sobriety, uh, we had a real challenge in, in, in our family. Uh, my wife uh, got a severe illness. She, was, uh, she had leukemia, and we had to go through a very difficult period of a, blood a, a bone marrow transplant. And my life was basically thrown uh, a huge curveball. And without this program and without the work that uh, I had done and without God and without the help of my sponsor and, and my dear friends in this fellowship, I wouldn't have gotten through that sober. I almost didn't. There were times when I really, really, really wanted to act out. But this program and these principles and these steps kept me present and kept me alive uh, through that really difficult period. So for me, the most positive effect of, that, of the sobriety is the focus away from oneself. And uh, what talks about we will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Because it is, for me, through that connection to other men in this program, uh, and others and other people that I find my own that I find God. God speaks through other people in, in my life. And uh, someone else said here today that they ne you never know who God will speak to, who God will speak through to me. Uh, and I have to listen. I have to listen to all of you. Uh, I am not perfect. I've never been perfect, but uh, but I do believe and. Uh, that I one day, little day at a time, I gain slow, progressive victory over lust and over isolation, and that is the big uh, positive effect for me. Thanks.
Yeah, I'm Ken. I'm a sexaholic. I've been sober a little over two years. I, I want to talk about the positive aspects of sobriety. Um, I got here a lot like you, many of you. But uh, it took me about a year to really understand what the real value of the sobriety was, and that it allowed to clear away the cloud of the, the real character defects. I knew from the get-go lust wasn't my problem. Acting out wasn't my problem. I didn't love myself. And God, I didn't think God could love me until I learned that that could be possible. I could not do the things that he wanted me to do. It took a year. And this past year, my brother developed uh, terminal cancer. My daughter had a nervous breakdown. Uh, my mother developed lung cancer. And my wife's brother committed suicide. So I've had lots of opportunity for service. And through the program, through my higher power, through my willingness to know that I'm no longer God, that I'm not in charge, and I can only do what I can do. And that's it, and God will do the rest. I couldn't fix my daughter. It killed me to see my daughter sick as an adult. I could pay her medical bills. That was something I could do. I couldn't cure her disease, so I had to let God do that. So each day I get up and ask God what I can do today for somebody else. And every day that I do that, I'm a healthier person because I'm a sick person. And I have to be medicated that way every day. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, everybody, that shared. We're, uh, we're out of time, and there's a group coming to this room in about eight minutes. Um, let's, if, if we can, if y'all can, if y'all know them, great. If not, if you want to move up closer to the front, let's close with the promises. I might have to turn around to read them. <laughs> Skip the number, just read the words. We are painstaking about the faith of our fellow. We be amazed to work with that happy group. We are going to know neither freedom nor new happiness. We will not regret the past or wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the words of serenity. We will know peace. No matter how hard our detail we have gone, we will see how our experiences can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, your best source for experience, strength, and hope from the SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choose either monthly or a one-time donation. Music was provided by Matt P. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.